Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Shara Ruffin, an incredibly inspirational woman who has created her own business, Journey to Licensure, based on her experience working hard to get her clinical social work license. Shara started to share her private journey publicly on LinkedIn and found community with others that were going through their own challenges while getting licensed. You'll hear how she started to host free online group sessions to help others to pass their exams and now has a successful business coaching and mentoring while having just recently authored a book for social workers seeking motivation in their own journeys. If you enjoyed this episode of Uncharted Careers, please share with a family member or friend and leave me a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please enjoy. I would probably say me getting a 10-minute workout in. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) What were you doing? That would be, I hate it. I hate it all. The elliptical. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I have to. Yeah. I was diagnosed earlier in the year with hypertension Mm. at 37. I was like, let me just get my life together. So I started um, slowly working out in 10 minutes, five minutes is freaking hard. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. I thought I was going to die. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is all I could do. I like, I had to put a, I always had to put a towel over the timer. I know this is cyborg. So mm-hmm. I don't see it. Cause if I see him like, how much time do I have left? Oh my gosh. I know. I hate that countdown. <laughs> oh God. So I just ignored it. But today I've been doing 10 minutes. This is my first week ending three times. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Friday. So mm-hmm. it's actually been better today. So that's been my focus is more health, mm-hmm. more focus. Uh, with everything that I have going on. So yeah. very nice. That sounds like a good balance doing it every other day. Yeah, I can't do I used to do 45 minutes um, daily for many years in uh, not since my son has been alive. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> well, sure he has you running been, around. Yeah, he's uh, my youngest is nine. So he yeah, he, he'll be 10. That's how long mm-hmm. it's been. <laughs> well you're easing back into it <laughs> yes trying to ease my way back into it so yeah. yeah well thanks so much for joining me um so to start things off I would love to hear from you Sharo tell me more about what you do today and what your business is sure so my name is Shara Ruffin I'm a clinical social worker um I'm a LinkedIn advisor and I'm a top voice in social work on LinkedIn's platform position there out of I was given that accolade very recently within the last two months as the only social worker person in my field to have that position out of a billion people now on LinkedIn so very exciting wow yes that was a like a big surprise for me Congrats. Uh, so That's thank awesome. you so being the first to do something, um, I'm an author. My business is called Journey Licensure. So it is focused on professional development for social workers. It's also focused on exam coaching, which was my first arm of my business when I started three years ago. It'll be officially three years in January. And I also do clinical supervision uh, for social workers remotely. Um, so those are my three arms of my business. 
Yeah. Most people know me for the exam part of it, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would love to hear how all of this came to be because we're kind of at the point where you're already getting accolades for everything that you have been yeah, working on for so it, long. But take me back to the beginning. What attracted you overall to social work? I would say um, it originally was my advisor like 18 years ago when I was in college to say that just like, uh um, <laughs> <That's not quite. laughs> I was like, yeah, man, I remember when he told me I was a psychology major and mm-hmm. he's like, maybe this isn't for you. Uh, you got to see. And I'm like, I don't like this either. I thought I was because I was distracted over a boy that was sitting near me who I was dating and my best friend behind me, we were always giggling and laughing in an intro, but I think it was a disconnect because it was so much science and mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much science I was like, I don't want to learn about neurotransmitters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in all that one class and having that epiphany, my second semester, um, he said, I think you should go into social work. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I was like, don't they just look, take away kids? And he was like, uh, they actually do a lot more than that. It's funny thinking about what I said in my mouth, like, oh, child welfare. No, thank you. Because when I took my first intro class, I fell in love with it. And it's been almost 20 years since making the decision to switch my major in um, to social work and, and really getting into not only social work, but learning more about myself. I ended up wanting to be a therapist, but it took me many years to even get to that point of, because before that, I was a medical case manager. I was doing advocacy work, working in nonprofit, for profit. In my bachelor level program, a lot of my internship was mostly focused on the workforce and professional women. And then I kind of morphed into a more focused approach when I got to grad school. I went to Howard University um, 10 years ago and my master's was in focused in mental health. And then from there, I really kind of got into wanting to be a therapist and wanting to really get focused on mental health. So my concentration was mental health settings. Um, And it was more of a clinical track focus. It was fast. It was only three semesters and I was out of there uh, (laughs) for my master's. Um, And then after that, I did a lot of work with women who were um, HIV positive, doing medical case manager in DC for a while. And then after that, I ended up working in an outpatient hospital in inpatient hospital settings as a uh, social worker. Um, And then it morphed into me being an outpatient psychotherapist for many years after that. Um, So I've worked with patients. The youngest I've worked with was 18. The oldest was 96 years old. Um, So quite a range. Um, It's been a fun time. Mm-hmm. What does the typical day look like for a social worker? I imagine it really varies based on where you're based and the organization that you're working for. But yeah, tell me about the types of folks that you're working with and what the actual days look like for you. For me, um, well, my past self, because I'm yeah. no longer in that world to that degree. But um, as a psychotherapist, uh, when I worked at an outpatient setting, it looked like so as I came in, my my I get tons of messages that I have to respond back to. Nine o'clock in the morning, I was seeing forty uh, patients in a group setting. Um, sometimes having to do crisis um, management if someone was destabilizing. Um, in that group, as I said, I had the youngest was eighteen, the oldest may have been ninety six, ninety seven years old. So it was a range of lifespan of <laughs> in that room, and they were they had. Dually diagnosed with psychosis, long-term illness, 
on any given day in that job, I would also have to cover different levels of care. So having multiple documentation notes, not just my 40 patients of group notes to do, I may have to cover um, another clinical therapist on the other side of the building who's doing high risk. Um, these people may have just gotten out of hospital, they're in acute care or intensive outpatient. So sometimes covering two or three levels of care on top of my caseload. <laughs> uh, and may doing crisis management and uh, or one to one or doing multiple meetings with different care providers. If most of the time I'm working on a multidisciplinary team that has a nurse, psychiatrist, um, different providers on that team, and we would have multiple meetings per day. That lessened as the years went on in the hospital that I worked at. But a lot of case management, having to be really organized and having to have the stamina to do documentation at the end of the day when you've been <laughs> running around with your head cut off. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I have, I do have, there are some pros and cons, but I do have some really fond memories of um, the camaraderie and the morale of my team members, because at times it was, it was just exhausting. Um, but being able to have support of my team members and some of my uh, superiors was very, it made the difference mm -hmm. in the work that I did. Yeah, it seems like such challenging and noble work to go into social work. Can you tell me more about the times that you felt really fulfilled by the work that you were doing? I imagine some days it would feel like a little bit of a slog, but tell me about the times when you did feel like, um, you know, you were really fulfilled or enriched by the work that you were doing. Oh, there were um, oh God, countless times. I think for me, um, I, the community that I served, they were a reflection of, I could see my family members in them, I could see myself. So the connection that I had in terms of being able to not just be a therapist, but a human being. So to change the power dynamic between provider and client, uh, because I know, also know what it is to be a patient. So um, it was always important for me to um, make my client feel safe and comfortable. But to see that transition, of course, I HIPAA, I can't talk about those specific cases, but what I can say is being able to um, watch the transition of someone who was really struggling with their mental health and maybe even had a hard road and watch them make the physical or mental transitions to be able to make small steps or small changes to bettering themselves, whether that was cognitively, whether that was physically. I always did more holistic work with my patients to the degree that I could in making sure that their supports were um, part of that process and the support that we gave them while they were there. Because unlike inpatient, at the program that I um, was in, it was mostly group of individuals. Those clients would leave. So we only had impact on them for a short amount of time that we did have them um, and helping them feel safe and creating an environment where they could feel connected because a lot of their diagnosis, some of them are heavily stigmatized. So we're talking about schizophrenia, um, psychosis, mood disorders, things that people really are ashamed of and that society depicts um, as very negative in the media and movies and things like that are highly misunderstood for me to be able to help them feel connected and a sense of self-worth was probably a lot of my pride in some of the work that I did. Yeah, that seems so rewarding. Having that one-on-one -on -one connection and seeing them actually progress as they continue working with you and take tangible steps into the direction that they want to go into, I can imagine that feels just really heartfelt and empowering. It does. 
It, it does. It, I think for me, having that, a lot of times I would see patients that, well, a lot of things they would talk about, their they, closest family or partners don't even know. The people that they're sleeping next to don't even know. So when they're laying their bearings, their, their inner thoughts, it's very sacred to me. And to be able to create an environment where they can take the mask off, it, it was important for me to lay down a foundation to build a therapeutic alliance to make that connection to actually do the clinical work. So it was very rewarding. Yeah, that's really powerful. Is there anything that you learned along the way while you were a social worker that you wish you knew earlier on? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gosh, I think if I had to reflect upon a question, I think it probably depends on the different points of that journey. I would probably have to say, Shara, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, I was, I'm a very type A person and used to, in my earlier part of my career, wanting to get things right, be very organized and people, you can't put people into um, little boxes and really learning how to be more flexible was something I wish I would have been more doing it. I mean, it, I still, I mean, there were learning points along the way, but um, I became more flexible the more I got used to the, the ongoing flexibility of the days because every day was not the same. It was different. Sometimes you would be in crisis. Sometimes you had to deal with somebody that was really struggling. And it's scary sometimes having somebody that's, you know, high risk of suicide and you're just like, crap, I got to make sure that I do everything in my power to make sure that they're safe. Um, and also if you had a license, your license is online. So making sure that you are, um, you know, um, competent was something that, um, early on, I felt very pressured, um, within myself, not externally from anyone else. Um, but I learned as I went along, I wouldn't change my path, wouldn't change some of the incidents I probably would cringe at now, (laughs) but it, it was a, a growing it was a reflective growing journey for me to get to that point of just being able to be comfortable with what is and go with the flow. So I don't know if that makes sense, but (laughs) yeah, it does. No, I'm very similar. I find that I'm always, or I tend to give others the benefit of the doubt. And earlier on in my career, I would never give myself the benefit of the doubt. And I would think, you know, if this didn't turn out exactly how I wanted it to, I could have done something better. And it's just, fruitless to think that way. And, you know, you just have to do your best with the information that you have and uh, with the experience that you have. And, um, you know, you can only do so much and take on so much. Yes, I would agree there. Yeah. Well, tell me about how you started um, Journey to Licensure. Um, I started Journey to Licensure, I mostly because I was struggling with my own exam process. Um, My licensing journey was about 10 years long. So in social work, typically there are three levels of licensure. There's a bachelor level licensure, a master level licensure, and then there's a clinical license, which is your advanced independent license to practice independently without any supervision. Okay. It takes about 3,000 hours, two years. It took me 10 years. Wow. That's a long time. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, it yeah, hours. post-grad. Well, Life happened. And Mm -hmm. that's the story that I I told on LinkedIn pretty much was the 
Um, and then the clubhouse pretty much catapulted what it became in terms of that story becoming the blueprint to help other people. Um, so right after grad school, I took my first exam in 2011. I missed it by three points. Um, took it over again in 2013 and I did pass it. Um, met my ex-husband, had two children. One of them had passed away in the, as a stillbirth during my ex-husband's deployment. And then we had another child, Jaden, who was born uh, with a kidney abnormality. He wasn't supposed to live past his one-year birthday. That's the nine-year-old I'm talking about now. Um, when So when he had surgery at six months, it was my marriage was falling apart by the seams. My ex-husband was in Tennessee thinking about deploying. He had been in the military for 26 years. And right when I thought he was going to retire, he decides, hey, I, I want to be up for another deployment. I was like, we just lost a child. Now we have another one that's medically compromised. I'm in Philadelphia. You're in Tennessee. We're apart. Um, I'm almost like a single mother taking care of my son. Anytime that he got sick, I'm working three hours away from home with no car, two trains and a bus, rain, sleet, snow, bad weather. I'm pushing him through the snow. Um, to get to appointments at maybe four or five in the morning, then going to work three hours away and then coming back. I did that for several years. Um, I missed his first walk, his first words, um, because I was working so much in the hospital. Um, so that story that I told of the postpartum depression, almost giving my son up for adoption because I was in my depression, um, deciding to keep him, said, we're just going to figure this out. Um, my ex-husband having a baby during our marriage that I didn't find out until after we were divorced. Oh yes. Well, when I tell you girl, he's <laughs> like, what, what happened those 10 years? Well, that's, and then it took me another six years to get the hours I needed to get licensed because there was heavy turnover at my job. So every year we had a different supervisor, which means every year I had to, you know, keep track of my hours for another ahead two licensed clinical social workers, um, MFT, which is a marriage and family counselor, licensed professional counselor, a psychologist, um, and a psychiatrist sign off all my hours to get licensed. After all of that, I kind of decided, hey, I'm going to just let this job go. I've done enough. I've done everything I can do. This is 2019. Oh boy. I take the exam. I get approved to sit and I fail it. I miss it by two points. I was devastated because of how much work, life circumstances to get to that point. Um, and and what's then the next I, time you could take it? Is it only offered a couple times a year? 90, well, no, you can take, now they've changed the rules that if you miss it within a 10 point margin, you can get a waiver in most states, not every state and take it over within weeks. Oh, I didn't okay. have an option back then. It was 90 days. Uh-huh. <laughs> they say you could take it over in March, 2020. Well, oh my God. I took, <laughs> we all know what happened. <laughs> yeah. We know exactly what happened in March, 2020 because the whole world experienced it. Yeah. Uh, I got a part-time job to lessen the stress to be able to study again. And what ended up happening a week before the pandemic started, I, I heard rumors about what was happening overseas, but this virus thing I was like, well, I don't know what's going on over there, but whatever. Hopefully it doesn't come here. And I was working in a residential facility at the time in North Philadelphia. And I was doing a part-time gig to just keep money in my pocket and just try to keep level-headed and focus on taking my exam again. 
Well, <laughs> a week before the pandemic started, I lose my job. Um, I'm now home. I can't afford to take my exam, so I'm not able to do it. Um, for about from March to about August, I was depressed. I was at home, didn't have health insurance, was really debilitated with excruciating migraines. I would take six to eight migraine sessions per day to numb the pain in the migraines. Um, I couldn't go to a hospital because I couldn't afford to do that. Um, so I ended up eventually getting support, um, medical um, assistance to be able to uh, get health insurance in August. I found out in March 2020 that I had ADHD combined type, which I didn't know I had. I knew I had generalized anxiety disorder. I knew about the learning disorder. Um, getting diagnosed with the ADHD pretty much helped me know that most of my academic career, I was on the struggle bus. Uh, but um, I graduated top of my class for both of my degrees. However, because of me being so high functioning, the doctor said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. If you would have known this many years ago, you probably would have got the help you need. I can only imagine how much your brain had to neurologically um, compensate for things that people's brain normally have the capacity to process because I have a grain of a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was like, well, okay. So I got on medicine uh, for my anxiety, my ADHD, took the mm -hmm. exam November 6, 2020, passed it. Wow. I put that story out on LinkedIn. It's in the feature section buried in my profile. That was my probably my first I call viral post at the time. Mm -hmm. It hit over a hundred thousand views. I'm like, what are people responding to? Because that whole year I had been on LinkedIn getting on video every day talking about some of the depression I felt because at the time I had thirty thousand followers and I told everybody, I'm gonna pass this exam and then I fail. Yeah. <laughs> it's like talking a small stadium. Um and it blew up and I a mentor of mine said, you need to get on Clubhouse. You need to get on Clubhouse. And Clubhouse, of course, was a big thing back then. I was like, sure, I'm not doing anything. I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up right now, since I now have an advanced license to do whatever I want in the field. So I got on Clubhouse. I do, started doing a study group every Monday. And within five months, I had people passing their exams from an audio room. Wow. I had a friend of mine say, and a mentor said, Hey, I think you need to go ahead and turn this into a business. I was like, why? I don't, you know, I, I, this is just something I like doing. And it's like, well, you're broke, you're stuck. You still have mouths to feed and you're doing something for free that works. And it was a mindset shift that I had to do within 30 days. I made my first $10,000 in one month. That was July, 2021. The first year of my business, um, within six no, first year, seven months, because I officially started in March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. Within eight months, I hit 108K that first year. Wow. Um, what did that feel like? I didn't know what to do um, because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting revenue is one thing, but I really wasn't expecting that. Uh, my whole point of me getting on the audio app was just to help. That was it, just to help others. Um, I wasn't trying to make a business out of it. I saw that there was a need for a different type of support. So I was like, I'm not doing anything. I got on Clubhouse, start telling that same story over and over to different communities. Um, I finally found one community. They had like 30,000 social workers on this community. And I, they said, hey, would you moderate 
um, our audio room uh, doing a study group. I said, sure, because I wasn't very comfortable doing a study room on my own. Then Clubhouse three months later came out with clubs where you could form your own club. And I formed my own club. I used to call it a study group. And then I thought about my own journey. It was like journey to licensure. And then I turned it into an LLC. And that was the history. It'll be three years in January. <laughs> it's morphed in so much more than just exam uh, prep now. So it's been quite a quite a ride. How did you get those initial 30,000 followers that were reading your story on LinkedIn and becoming interested in joining the study groups? 2018, I started, I was uh, pretty burnt out in therapy. And back then, LinkedIn articles were a big thing. And my first article that I published was uh, a military story um, and talking about mental health and people responded to it and stories were a big thing on LinkedIn like they are now. So I started um, posting art, publishing articles back then. And then it went from publishing articles to sharing stories. Um, I was still hiding behind written curated posts about mental health because in my world, um, because of what I went through personally, having mental health struggles and then being a mental health provider, it was very rare that you would get a provider to talk about their own struggles. Because if you're in therapy, you're doing therapy with another client, we're taught to be objective, not to divulge personal information because it could harm the client. So when we're taught those things, we're, it's almost like we're taught to not connect in that way. I always have because I was told by someone I didn't look like, another uh, psychiatrist I didn't look like what I'd been through, and it, it hit a nerve. So I got on LinkedIn and started sharing more of my background in mental health and the stories and being more active. So it it took a while. I became very obsessed with LinkedIn in 2018 in terms of engaging with content. And naturally, I just grew because I was always on there engaging in content, making connections. I didn't have, really have a goal at that time. I was just there. And then I met a LinkedIn influencer who had a million followers and she she pretty much changed the game for me in 2019 because she said, I, what are you doing? You, you have 30,000 connections, but what are you doing with them? I was like, I'm just here giving LinkedIn, you know, mental health information, whatever. She's like, if they don't hear you, if they don't see you, they're not going to trust you. I was like, I don't have a business. I'm not selling. She's like, it doesn't matter. So she said, I need you to do video for 90 days. And I was like, what? I don't <laughs> I don't, why? My first initial reaction was, I don't have time for this. <laughs> it was fear. Yeah. Uh, but that whole year that I was going through depression after failing my exam, telling people about it, I found that there was a connection in doing video. I did, did video every single day, no matter rain, sleet, snow, when shine, how I felt, how I looked, hair messed up, looking crazy. Ooh, I cringe at some of the bad wigs I had on back then. Um, cooking, <laughs> well, people cleaning. responded to them. Yeah, they did they cooking, cleaning. Um, they got to know my son, mm-hmm. Jaden, a lot because uh, Jaden, I was always teaching him his homeschool, so he was always in the videos all the time. Um, they got to know him. Was at, at one point we actually had a LinkedIn community member send him, <laughs> send him like Oprah's favorite things, kid puzzle or something. It was a couple of years back. But that's how connected they felt to me. And I didn't really realize what I was doing was building a brand and didn't know I was. Because when that story came out and exploded, it wasn't just that one post exploded. It was because a year earlier, I had shared, I'm going to pass this exam and then I fail it. And I share those 
in real time, people are watching me go through the motions like a TV show. Um, and I think and trying to extract the lessons each day that I was learning and people followed. So when I came out with a business, it was just like, you know, it, it, it was just building blocks. Um, but I didn't, it wasn't intentional though. That's the funny thing. I wasn't trying to be an influencer. I wasn't trying to. I was just trying to help people that were responding to colleagues of mine that could share those experiences of having difficulties around the ASWB licensing exams that go way beyond just taking the exam. And I found that that my story was a story of many. Hence, um, three years later, over 3,000 social workers have passed through my coaching spaces, um, my TikTok lives, my LinkedIn spaces. It's been, <laughs> when I say it's been experience, it, it really has. I would have never thought I would be doing what I do now. I thought I was going to be in private practice. Some of the stories of, of colleagues that have had passed their exams and to be able to hear their stories because I have podcasts, um, to hear a lady who was is blind um, who I didn't even know I was helping. She was in my group coaching program. Her name is Tamisha Tate. She's on my podcast. She came into my clubhouse and said, Shari, you actually helped me pass my exam. It was my first time. I had a hard time in school. I'm blind. I can't see it. I was like, what? This was, uh, Tamisha, this was what? Earlier this year when I said I was going to quit, I'm done. I'm going to move on to something else that help a lady named Shannon Shriver who was deaf. She, and I don't know, make a sign language. We work through an interpreter in Zoom. She passed her exam in six weeks with me um to have people like that that need a more holistic support approach that doesn't fit the traditional tutoring self-study prep route people that are parents people that don't know how to study people that have really debilitating anxieties neurodevelopmental neurodevelopmental disorders um people really struggle a lot of what's out there are one size fit all approaches um, and I pretty much meet people where they are. So are you creating a unique program for each individual person with, you know, the same end goal in mind? Yes. Before all the tech comes came out. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. It was harder back than it is now. But yeah, I would tailor uh, based on their needs, based on their lifestyle. Most tutors, they just do practice questions and like, okay, see you next week. With me, because it's what I do all day, every day, I'm literally giving, and because I've, um, there are a couple of arms there, mental health, um, really being a partner for that person, because many of the colleagues I've had are first-time test takers, first time in their family go to college, don't have anyone that's been through the process. So look at, they need that mentorship, that guidance, and I'm there to kind of be their on-call person. I am their go-to um, mindset is a big thing, working on their anxiety. And then being a former therapist uh, was is a plus. So I'm able to kind of leverage those experiences to help um, a wide range of people. Do you continue to work with any folks after they take the exam and complete it since you are developing these relationships? Yes, um, I do. Right now, it's kind of right now, I'm kind of automating, trying to streamline some of my exam stuff um, now, because what people are now asking me for is more professional development. Char, how do you take a, a story and turn it into a six-figure business? I just cleared 200000 this year. We're ending quarter four soon. Um, and then my third year, 
ending. So for a social worker, it's unheard of. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, for someone that didn't have any investment and starting from nothing, having nothing, it's uh, for someone that looks like me um, that comes from a background that I do. It's it's rare um, from what I hear. But for me, it was just I've always been very grindy, um, trying to find a, a light in a dark tunnel, sort of speak. I've always been that way. Um, but when it comes to something I'm passionate about, I, I pretty much zip, like zero focus on it. Like I'm hyper focused which I think is an ADHD superpower for me um, with some, some of the things that have happened for me within the past couple of years of like, I'm not going to be an author. I became a five-time Amazon bestseller within 24 hours wow. because I had already positioned my community to want yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So, so many, th I'm actually writing like a little love me list of look, all the things that I've done and how can I repurpose them so my colleagues can do the same? Because in social work, we're taught to serve others, which is fine. But we need to make sure that we're cultivating and feeding into ourselves. Um, and there's not a lot of colleagues I know um, that have that type of mentorship. Sure, they're asking you about LinkedIn. They're asking me how to well position themselves for jobs. I turn down six-figure jobs all the time because I was like, oh, I don't want, I make this on my own. My colleagues don't have that choice. So how do I help them position themselves to have that choice? Um, so that's kind of what's in the in the soup of Charland right now. Yeah, <laughs> and, and trying to think about how can I help my colleagues with all the accolades and things I've been able to do in the last three years, especially this year. I'm so happy to celebrate um, things that I, I didn't think I would have or even think about doing. Um, being in USA Today and Success Magazine for my work that I've done with social workers in a very short time frame, or being recognized for LinkedIn um, in my field um, has been very humbling, but something I didn't expect. I was just trying to help somebody um, not go through what I went through. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what probably set you apart on LinkedIn in the beginning because you weren't selling anything. And that is what a lot of LinkedIn is. It's a lot of folks, you know, reaching out with something to sell you. And you were just authentically being yourself and you weren't selling anything at the time. You were actually giving away your time and energy for free through the clubhouse. So I'm sure that helped a lot in the beginning to cultivate your community. It did. And now on TikTok is... is uh... Oh, tell me more about TikTok. I love TikTok. Girl, but TikTok has been killing me. So... Um, I was just talking to my other mentor and she was like, holy crap. I've only been on TikTok a month. Mm -hmm. um, my highest view was 60,000 views. That's a lot in a month. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> I, 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 like, I was looking at my analytics earlier and I was like, holy crap. Um, when I first started, it was at 2.6. Um, and within that first week, it went up in my analytics to 20,000, I had 4,000 people in a live and it just kept going. And I was like, holy crap, what's mm -hmm. happening? But people were starting to find me. Mm -hmm. I literally had 30 consultations this month and had to hire two more VAs to keep up. Wow. <laughs> because people now, what's happening with TikTok is it's doubling on people. All the social workers are finding you on Instagram, Twitter, mm -hmm. My, my podcast, they're looking for me on other platforms besides TikTok. 
but tick I went from I think 300 people to 18 almost 18,000 um because every time I would do a live it would go up to a thousand more followers following you like, yeah right I know so the growth been, is wild yeah I didn't know the reach was like that I was like why wasn't I doing this a long time ago because <laughs> you know when a new platform like Clubhouse is dying um I only use it really for podcasting because of the changes that they made okay. um but for more social proof, it's just easier for me to knock out a podcast. I still keep that same group I've been doing for three years, but mm-hmm. TikTok, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I really, I didn't know the reach was like that because I was like, holy moly. Every time you turn around, I was like another console. I'm like, I, so I had literally have to, <laughs> I had to hire another assistant. I was like, I can't keep up. Yeah. I want to help all these people, but I need someone to be in between me and making sure I'm getting the information um, so I can help. Yeah. What is so, your plan for growth as you do just gain more followers and more folks that want to work with you? Train others. Uh, train others. I, I'm In terms of really scaling, um, putting some systems and processes in place uh, to help me grow. Um yeah, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, but I am now looking at the fact that I now have a small team and I have to to manage it because it's a lot and it can be very stressful. Um, I know most people will probably like kill for the a type of attention and the upward mobility that I'm getting, but I, I'm doing my best to just try to take it a little bit at a time um, and help as many people as I can within my within my means, because if I can't, I'll refer them out to someone else that does similar, well, not similar work, but that, you know, can do exam prep and say, Hey, go here. If I'm full, cause it's now at a point where I have to have people are booking me for next year. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Let me, I don't know what my schedule is going to be like because it changes daily. I actually have six consultations later on today. So it's, uh, and they're all, most of them from TikTok, except for two vets from podcasting. So things are really um, getting interesting for me. I, 2024 is going to be a busy year. Yeah, yeah, it all sounds so exciting. Very exciting. Um, a little overwhelming. And then there's the imposter syndrome that always kicks in that I'm always beating, beating away. Still? <laughs> Even after three years? Oh, yeah. Um, every time I do something, I always have to tell myself that I remember when I first started doing video, I was like, oh, who am I to talk about, you know, X, Y, and Z and blows up. Um, when I start getting on LinkedIn to do more niche down videos about my field, who am I to talk about this? I'm not Brene Brown, like all these things. But every time I, I make fight off that fear and I'll do it anyway. And I think that's the beauty and and the ability that I have is I can have those thoughts. They're normal. I'm sure Oprah still has, maybe not, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm sure she's had those. I remember when she started that big network and she failed, it it had a very shaky start in the beginning. Um, when she built her own network, I think it was like, Oh, or whatever it's called. Um, you know, people like that failing, but it got better and her network is now booming. Um, I think it's something that everybody goes through, um, to some degree, no matter, you know, how high they go, you're human. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for somebody who 
wants to start their own business or wants to potentially put themselves out there, um, but it's not something that they've done before. They don't have the social proof to look back on and say, you know, I can, I can do this because I've done it before. What has helped you to get past that mindset? Mentors. I, I can count on at my hands and toes how many coaches I've had for different things. You can't do this. You can't do it by yourself. You don't know everything. The things that you don't know, you need to pay somebody to know. <laughs> um, and if you don't have the money, just start out small. Find where your people live. Um, for me, it morphed to seven different platforms, but that happened over three years. It, it took me time to cultivate. People see all the the things that are happening for me now in my my niche. Um but it took me years. This is 20 years of being in the field. What's happened to me in the last three years took me 20 years to do. And I try to frame that for people a lot because I asked somebody on LinkedIn said, everything you do, Shark touches is gold. I'm like, uh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> if people knew how many hours that I'm in this chair, hours of sacrifice that I'm away from my son when he wants to play with me. And sometimes being tired at night, like last night, I um, got on a uh, He's like, mommy, I want to play with Mario Kart. I was like, sure, that's our thing. So I'm exhausted from a day of talking and doing consultations, doing calls, trying to make a game plan, trying to work on a marketing plan. He still needs me. So I put everything aside. I was like, it'll be here tomorrow. Um, and putting aside to make sure that I pay attention to him. It's And remember that there's a balance because there was a dark side to this. I, earlier this year, uh, was in the hospital for um, panic attacks. And it's something, I mean, I'm, you know, it is what it is, but I want people to understand that there is another side to what people may perceive as success. You know, people only see the iceberg effect. So I would definitely caution those going into business. You're going to have your ups and your downs. Um, in August of last year, I had like two, three grand in my account. That was it. So most people are like, oh, that's some money. But if you're used to averaging 10 to 15, $20,000 a month, months in revenue and you just tank, um, I had to really look at what am I doing? What do I need to do? And I had to hire another business coach. And now my revenue went up $100,000 more than what it was last year. Um, it doubled. So asking for help, um, knowing that you're not by yourself um, and don't tell everybody everything. <laughs> um, that's something else I had. It's very lonely um, where I am at times because there are things I'm going through and I'm experiencing that even my family can't relate to because they've got their own stuff going on. Um, and finding, lean on people that have done it better, faster, uh, and learn from them. Um, and be willing to make mistakes, uh, be willing to um, lean into your fear, um, but don't stay there. It lies. I think if I would have listened to that fear of, ah, whatever, I'm not going to do video, I would. I don't think I would be here right now. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And I think that's really good advice. And it also just shows the value of working with a coach like you because you have other folks that have guided you, mentored you, and helped to hold you accountable. And that's similar to the type of work that you're 
doing and providing to others. Um, so it just, I think, speaks a lot to the power of having a coach and um, working with somebody on, you know, your business or um, getting licensed in social work. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of even brand building, so many people, they pay attention to the money aspect. And the magical thing, well, not magical, but the part for me that I didn't go into it trying to make money at all. I literally was trying to help someone behind me because I know what it is to do something alone. Um, And I think me building from that space um, later on, I want learning to be a businesswoman and knowing that my services have value. And I had to fight with myself about that. Um, that was a process I had to go through. One of my coaches said, this has more to do with you than it does with you saying your people can't afford your services. And I had to think about that because when I made that mindset switch to, I have 20 years experience, <clears throat> a lot of um, experience that my clients can leverage beyond just the exam that I am worth every penny. But the other pieces, I also had five months of building social proof of what I did. If you can show something that works, works consistently, people will pay you for it. Yeah. Wow. Your journey is really incredible. Thank you so much, Shara, for sharing all of this. I'm really excited to watch what you do next and to see you continue to grow from here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to me, Courtney Ramble. But <laughs> I'm very excited about I, I, I'm i kind of on a high a little bit because I was just talking to my, my business coach who helped me turn my business around to um, having more Um my revenue going from $2,000 last August to 200000 clearing as of November, now November 17th, over that. That's amazing. Because um, I remember where I was last year, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to go back to work. I don't want to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but really learning how to diversify, how to meet people where they are, and really listening to your audience about what they need, mm-hmm. uh, what they want, and how to get them there faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's important. And also not paying attention to whatever. And last piece of advice I would give, don't pay attention to what everyone else is doing. People, we get so caught up in measuring ourselves up to everyone else that we forget that we are very unique because there's no one like us. Our DNA is very different. <laughs> um, our, you know, our experiences are different. And because of those experiences we have, we can cultivate them. And there are lessons that other people won't get because they're not you. So you're the only one that can cultivate those experiences. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's important. And something I still tell myself that I'm not Brene Brown. I think about her a lot because she's one of the, you know, a uh, social worker that got touched by Oprah. I mean, I get touched by Oprah, but I'm trying to get close. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but I am me. I have my own experiences. I have my own gifts. And I have shown in my work over and over again consistently that what I do changes the lives of my colleagues. Hence, it changes the people that they're able to touch because they are now in a better professional position to help others mm-hmm. and helping themselves. There's nothing wrong with going to the Louis Vuitton store. I'll be going there <laughs> in a couple of weeks to get my next bag. Good for you. <laughs> I think. 
I think what's so exciting about your journey is that you have been so open to doing different things because being a social worker, you know, that's the end game for probably most of the folks that are getting licensed. And, you know, there's a really clear path to what that career looks like. And you've taken that and done, you know, gone so many different directions and you're still doing new things like getting on TikTok and um, just taking on new challenges, um, which I think is a great mindset to be in and just exciting. Yeah. I, I, and thank you for that, Courtney. I think for me, it's the fact that I'm a ha- the most important thing for me is I'm having fun with it. It's okay. not, it does. I hate the administrator stuff and all that that comes with it, which is why I'm having <laughs> fun giving stuff away now. Um, <laughs> but I love showing up for my colleagues because each time I speak to them, it feels like I'm talking to, the person I would have wanted uh, when I was in their space. Um, so for me, uh, and pushing them beyond their limits sometimes, <laughs> they hate me for it, um, knowing that I can see them getting their license even when they can't. Um, sometimes in general, I think it it helps when there's someone else that may be able to see what you can't see, and that's okay, because maybe you're not supposed to see it yet. Uh, but having that support, um, no matter if it's a social worker, coaching or, or business or not, it's it's vital because no one can do everything alone. Yeah, I know. You need that support. Family, friends, coaches, mentors, you need that in order to, I think, feel comfortable doing new things. Yes, 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 yes. So I am very just, I'm grateful, um, humbled. And starting to get used to talking about my my wins because that's something I don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably one of the very few podcast interviews that I actually talk about them. But I've been in reflection mode for the last two weeks. Like, holy crap, Shara! Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've done some. You've got some amazing. You've done a, a lot of things that have happened this year that you didn't ask for, and mm-hmm. you've been blessed to be able to do them. Yeah. Well, I am incredibly impressed and inspired. For folks that want to follow along or get in touch with you, where should they go? TikTok, LinkedIn, podcast. Tell me all the things. Um, they they can go. They can plug in my. I can actually say Google me now. You can Google my whole name. <laughs> but no, they can. Yeah, because actually stuff will come up. But um, yeah, Twitter. they'll see that USA Today article. Yeah, they'll see USA Today, <laughs> Success Magazine, Top yeah. 15, LinkedIn uh, professionals in Philly. I'm in Philadelphia. Um, top voice in social work, LinkedIn advisor, uh, five-time Amazon bestseller. So they'll see, you can find me on TikTok. You can find me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on all my podcasts beside Apple on every major platform. Mm-hmm. Um, out there, they can find me on TikTok, of course, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So yeah, I have a business page and personal page for LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, yeah, yep, all of those. I can see why you're hiring. That's a lot to maintain. I, I, yeah, I it, and I was doing that for, by myself for years. Oh so God. now I said I, I can't do this no more. So I just now I have a VA that I plan the content. And I just get to say, here, yeah, here you go. And it's just a breather of fresh air. Like, huh, I ain't gotta, I ain't gotta do this. I mean, that's smart so that you can focus on the things that excite you yeah, and get you going. Yes. And then, you know, you outsource the other parts. That's, that's where, that's where everything is headed. Cause I'm ending my third year. I'm now realizing that 
in order to keep doing what I'm doing, I have to delegate. And that was always hard because there's a sense of control that I like. And for people that are entrepreneurs, at some point, if you want to grow, if you want to scale, you have to delegate. You don't have a choice or you're going to limit yourself. Let people do what they're gifted at and you stay in your lane of genius, they're in theirs. It works. And learning how to trust others and building good people around you. It took me a while to learn how to do that. And please, whatever you do, trademark your name. That's something else I'm learning about that's going on right now. Trademark everything. For the love of God. I'll say this on the podcast. (laughs) They can can play that back as many times as you. It doesn't matter if you haven't blown up or not. You don't know. I've had things happen to me (laughs) that are now being corrected. So that's all we'll say about that. But good advice. uh, Trademark everything you do, all your processes, everything. Okay. I like it. Well, thank you so much for being on, Shara. This was a really great conversation. Yeah, no problem. This was very refreshing. And after working out, this was a good, like, I can, I have a speech to do at 345, 4 o'clock for a speaking engagement. Never stop. No, that's my last thing. I'm, I'm, that's it for me. And I'm going to be sitting playing my Dreamlight Valley. Nice. And my my Nintendo Switch. I love my Switch, but I barely (laughs) get a chance to play it and I'm behind. Um, so I'm a Switch Nintendo Switch gamer. My son is a PlayStation and Switch gamer, but he mostly plays his Roblox. Mm-hmm. Um, but I barely get a chance to play my game. And it's Friday. It's my down day. It doesn't sound like it, but <laughs> after the speaking engagement, it's downhill for the rest of the day. Good. You deserve it. Yeah, I need a break. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's been fun. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.